welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Everything's changing, and everything's changing exponentially in the world. What used to take 10 years now takes a few weeks, even in technology. And um, don't want to miss the message of the songs that have been sung, and especially that song. There, there is coming a day, and um, it's safe to say we're fastly approaching that day. Nobody, no man knows the day nor the hour, not even Jesus. He said, I don't know, only my Father in heaven. But you don't have to be a theologian to figure out we're closer today than we were yesterday. And we certainly should be praying for our nation, praying for the nation of Israel, praying for peace. We're told to pray for peace. Whatever that looks like, we just know we're praying for peace. I think when we pray for peace of Israel, we're praying for Jesus to come back, in essence. And, um, but we need to be praying for our leaders. I don't want to overlook that. Certainly as a Christian church, we ought to be praying for our leaders. We ought to be praying for those who are making decisions, keeping in mind that every time they make a decision, and it, it involves and it affects a real person, a real life, a man or woman who's serving our country, a lot of men and women serving other countries, and people that are laying down their life for us. And um, you say, well, I don't know if that's got anything to do with the Bible or Scripture. Well, I think it does, but I also think it has to do with being a good citizen of this country to where you're grateful for where you're from and you're grateful for those who have paid the price. You're grateful for those who are laying down their life now. And um, if you didn't know, uh, I love America and I love our military and I love our veterans and I will always support them and encourage our church and encourage the next generation to do the same. But in the midst of that, we've got to be men and women of prayer and praying for God to do something only he can. And um, I, I get anxious nearly every day now watching the news to see what transpires, what unfolds that only points back to the realization that this word is truth. God's in control. He's sovereign. You may or may not believe it, but there is coming a day where we will stand in his presence, and we will give an account for the deeds we've done in our body, both good and bad, and there will be people who do stand before the great white throne judgment of God, the lost, those who have never made Jesus Lord of their life, and they will be judged by this law book. And if there's ever been a time, I think this is in my sermon a few pages in, that you need to know that you know, it's now. We're closer today than ever before. I don't know in a little over five years now of being the senior pastor of this church, I've preached a more gospel-related, simple message than is today. We've been in the book of 1 John for a while now. And today, I'm going to skip a few verses, and we're going to go straight to 1 John chapter number 5. Some of you will be relieved to know that we're finishing this man-made series today, and I'm going to start something else. But um, 1 John chapter number 5, there's a very important verse of Scripture. I've already read it, every single message in this study of authentic Christianity. It's a verse that's been thrown around in church for a long, long time. I'm not saying it's been misused necessarily, but maybe necessarily I am saying it's been misused. It's been a verse that people have been taught to go to so that you can know that you're born again. And they're not completely incorrect in advising you to go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. The error is that you can go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, and not know what's in 1 John chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. 
which is all about what 1 John chapter 5 is referring to. If you want to stand as we read this one verse of Scripture, don't let it fool you. We're going to be here a while. It's only one verse, but I'm convinced you have to get at least an hour's worth to, to get your paycheck. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. John finishes this letter, and in the last chapter, this verse is the highlight. Maybe it's highlighted in your Bible, maybe it's underlined or has an asterisk. But if you don't write in your Bibles, this is going to sound cheesy and preacher-like. I want you to write this verse in your heart, that you hold on to this verse. And if you've been here for the last several weeks, you hold on to what John has taught under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, to teach us as professing believers. He says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. There can be no question, no confusion, that God in his sovereignty and his holiness and his righteousness has not made a way for every person to know whether or not they're born again. Every person in this room, every person listening to this message one way or the other, now or later, has the ability to know if they're born again or not. He said, I'm writing these things. I've written this letter so that you can read it, so that you can be encouraged, so that you can be convicted, so that you can be uh, made known clearly that you are or you are not born again. The question of the day is, do you know that you have eternal life? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this book that we're reading from today. Thank you for the reality that we have access to your holy word. We can read it, we can study it, we can know the heart of our God. And I pray as simply as I can that no person who hears this message today would walk out not knowing one way or the other if they're born again or not. If you ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm gonna preach a very simple message from the entire letter of 1 John, summarized in one verse. On this thought of blessed assurance, with maybe a subtitle, How Can I Know That I Have Eternal Life? I've said this many times lately, I say it on Wednesday night, as we teach through Romans, just thinking about the comment a second ago to where the world is changing so fast, there's never been a time in the history of the world where the message of the gospel is more readily available than it is right now. Think about it. It is prophetic. It is eschatological that the world has access to the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some places, unreached people groups, I understand that. But the gospel is more available to more people today than ever in any person in this room's lifetime. We have access to evangelism. We have access to discipleship, whether it's on our phones, the fastest computer many of you have ever touched, 
We can ask Siri anything. We can ask Alexa anything. We can Google anything. As far as man is concerned and man's ability, for many people, if not the majority of the world, there's no excuse for not having access to the gospel. More specifically, in the local church that's supposed to be a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church, no matter your denomination, as long as you're an evangelical, Bible-preaching, Bible-believing church, there's no excuse for why a clear presentation of the gospel should not be preached and heard often. They're, they're, I, I kind of get into the whole church history and how it's just changed. Not old school church history. That's Pastor Justin's deal. I, just, that, I slept during that class. I'm talking about modern. I like to see the cycles. I like to see how things change. I like to hear people talk about how things have changed. And just, anyway. But we don't have evangelistic revivals like we used to have. We don't have tent meetings like we used to have, thank God. Anyway, we don't have, no, some of you, wow, that's unspiritual. I like to sweat and hear about hell when I'm already saved. Think about the logic. Anyway, so, but one of the reasons why is because the gospel is communicated differently today than it ever has been. Think of, I mean, think about it. I, I know, I know I just upset some people. By the way, I was told yesterday I upset 10 people when I said we shouldn't celebrate Halloween last week. <laughs> now, they said they walked out. I didn't see 10 walk out but at one time, but I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Enjoy. Free candy. If that's your thing. But I also offend people when I talk about 95 degree August camp meetings. And that I'm glad that we're in air condition now and have learned better. Amen. But things have changed. I'm not talking about where we're not as spiritual as we used to be. That might be the case for some. But the gospel and the message of the gospel has changed how it's being received, not the gospel has changed, but how we receive it has been changed. And it's readily available, so easy. Discipleship's readily available, so easy. Church is changing. We used to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on discipleship material, and we still do as far as small groups and Sunday school. But you can pick up your phone and be discipled for free if you choose to. People all over the country and really all over the world have access to the true gospel free on phones and on the internet. So some mechanisms and methods change and many of us are grateful that we don't have to clean sawdust out of our shoes anymore. John is addressing in this book, and we finish today, something that is not new. It's still being addressed today, still needs to be addressed today. False teachers, false preachers, and false messages. We know that. John is talking to church, Christians, believers, who are part of the church of God, who are being affected by, influenced by, agnostics. We live in an age of agnosticism and Gnosticism even today, 2,000 years later. He's addressing believers and unbelievers who have been affected by agnostics, false teachers, adding to the scriptures. We're affected by that today. I'm careful to say what I'm going to say, and I actually went to bed thinking about this last night. Because I don't want this to be taken inappropriately, incorrectly, or in an in a ungodly way. I don't want you to receive it that way. I'm going to say it pure and holy. I want you to receive it that way. 
I believe, I believe, me personally, there, there are false teachings today that people may not identify as false teachings that lead people away from the true gospel. And if we're not careful, we, we will let it creep into the local church, I will say our church, where people add to the gospel. Basically, they set parameters, they set benchmarks that you must attain. Now, if we're not careful, there will be people who take away from the gospel. And I mean, it's simple enough as it is. It's a childlike faith. But we'll start to take away necessities of belief, in my opinion. One is just as dangerous as the other. But because of where we live and regionally and geographically, I've been exposed to, many of you have been exposed to, so-called Bible-believing church that also put extra stipulations on what you must and must not do in order to be one of us. And it's dangerous. I'm not talking about standards. I think we ought to have standards. But when it's preached as a necessity to be born again, and I'm not going into details and boring you with that, but there are some who basically create their own checklist, and if you don't do this, you're not of us. Now, John clearly says they came out from us, but they were not of us, not because they didn't dress like us. Because they didn't believe the gospel that was presented to them. They added to the gospel that was given to them. If we're not careful, because we're human, because we're sinful, and because we love ourselves, that we're born that way, everybody smile, you're all that way, we're all that way, we love me, right? We're selfish, it's all about me. If pastors aren't careful, they'll make the church all about them, and they'll expect everybody to believe like them, and dress like them, and act like them. I'm gonna tell you, my wife will amen this, don't act like me. <laughs> We're to act like him. And there's too many people, too many churches following a man and not following him. And when a man begins to get that type of authority over their people, it's dangerous. He can make them do things they shouldn't do. Make them believe things that will lead them down the broad path that leads to destruction and not the narrow way that leads to everlasting life. May we as a church, may every Bible-believing church hold each other accountable, hold their pastor accountable, hold their leadership accountable to make sure that doesn't happen. I fully expect if I come in and start preaching something that's not the gospel, somebody stop me in the middle of it or definitely approach me before I get to my car. I would expect that. I can assure you if someone stands in this pulpit and it's not me and they start, if I don't stop them, and y'all know me, I'll probably stop them right on the spot and say, game over. I really don't have a problem interfering with the service. I'm not saying that's a good quality to have, so you don't have to even. I struggle with it. If you're going to do it, do it right. If you're a Christian, I'll be better. We're serving God. That'll be quality. That'll be our best. In the book of 1 John, John uses the phrase or the term know or knoweth 37 times in the King James. That's where the knoweth comes from. And here in verse 13, he makes it clear. He wants everybody to know. God inspired John to write so that everyone may know. God wants you to know. He wants you to be confident. He wants you to be secure in the reality that you are born again. He told Nicodemus, you must be born 
again. Everybody in this room has been born. In one way or the other. But not everybody in this room has been born again. Nicodemus was confused. He was a pretty bright guy, but he said the dumbest thing I've ever heard in Scripture. How can I enter into my mother's womb again? Jesus actually said, what? Are you, I mean, you're like a professor and you're asking that question? And he said, unless you be born of water and of the Spirit, you can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. You got to be born again. You got to be born of water, natural birth. You got to be born of spirit, spiritual birth. Two births, one death. One birth, two deaths. You must be born again. Born of God. Born of the Spirit. You must be born again. If you're not born again, you will not inherit eternal life. Jesus said it. It's a pretty stiff stipulation. Not a lot of flexibility there, if you haven't noticed. It is a narrow gospel we preach. It is a narrow road we travel. We are narrow-minded. See how to kind of... If we're preaching a narrow path, then we have to be narrow-minded. Biblically narrow-minded. Y'all didn't like that. I thought y'all would like that a little better. If you're called narrow-minded, you ought to say, thank you. I didn't say arrogant-minded. I didn't say mean-spirited. I didn't say hateful. I said narrow-minded. Biblically narrow-minded. Our mind is to be transformed the renewing of our mind, so we ought to be narrow-minded. This is the way. There's no other way. Well, that's narrow-minded. You're right. That's our response. Thanks for noticing. Not a lot of ambiguity, not a lot of latitude. Jesus said you must be born again. So with that serious, strict, maybe harsh teaching. It would behoove God to give you a way to know if you're born again or not. God is gracious. God is merciful. He wouldn't say, you must, you must, you must, and not tell you how you know. Furthermore, he doesn't want us walking around wondering he wants us to know. He wants us to be confident. He wants us to be secure. He wants us to have peace that surpasses all human understanding. And there is no peace like knowing you're born again. There is no peace like knowing that one day, as the girl's saying, hey, this stuff's going to be over with. We'll be in his presence. We'll be worshiping him. We won't have to deal with sin or sickness anymore. And you only have that peace by knowing you're born again. Yes, the phone call is going to happen. Yeah, the doctor's report's going to happen. Why? In Sunday school, we're talking about old man Job. Singing sad, sad country songs. <laughs> Woe is me. Man is born of a woman a few days and full of troubles. Yippee, let's go eat. Why? Why suffering? The easy answer to suffering is sin. Sin exists. And now I'm preaching my message and haven't even got there yet. But we can have blessed assurance. And it is blessed when we know that we know. As I conclude with beginning with point number one, I believe John teaches we can know that we're born again by evaluating four relationships. First of all, we evaluate our relationship with sin. Now, yes, I just preached or read one verse, but I'm going to use the book of 1 John and highlight quickly, to your pleasure, I can tell, 
how we can know. Now, I'm going to throw this in here and let it just kind of land lightly. One of the problems in church, in the local Baptist comfortable church, is that Christians are so comfortable on their blessed assurance that they're ready for this thing to be over. For not care, I've been there. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've been there. Oh my goodness, I've heard this so many times. Will he ever stop? This is so long, so uncomfortable. When there are lost people in the church who need to hear it. So those of you who are safe and comfortable in your Christianity, just bear with us. There are people that need to hear this. People in this room, yep. There are people that need to hear this so that they can know So when they lay their head on their pillow, they have blessed assurance. They have peace. When they get that phone call, it doesn't look good. They have blessed assurance. First of all, our relationship with sin. When we think about our relationship with sin, there are three aspects of sin that John talks about. One is that we should have an awareness of sin. If we're going to know that we have eternal life, if you're born again or going to be born again, you have to be aware of sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you're ever going to be saved, you need to know what you're saved from. And it's not just hell. I get really... I'm not going to say that. Well, I got scared of going to hell, so I got saved. I've heard that, and, and I understand, I think, but I get nervous. Salvation is not just your fire insurance. It is a good benefit of being born again. If you're going to be saved... You need to know you were saved from sin. And the reason you needed salvation was because the wages of sin is death. Spiritual and physical death, but that the gift of God is eternal life. You have to understand, you have to be aware that there is none righteous, no, not one, Romans 3. You have to be aware that there is none worthy, there's none that seek after God, Romans chapter 3. You have to be aware that we're all sinners and we've all fallen short of God's glory. Romans chapter 3. We have to be aware that sin entered into the earth, into the world by one man, Adam. Romans chapter 5. And by Adam and his sin, death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. If you're ever going to be born again, you got to know and be aware about sin. I heard this statement, this phrase years and years ago, and I don't think some people like it, but you have to think about it, and then you'll like it. If you don't, throw it out. You don't need it. It's a buffet. Just eat the chicken, throw away the livers, right? Unless you like livers, then eat the livers and throw away the left. Whatever. You, you see the point. The statement is, we're not a sinner because we sin. We sin because we're a sinner. Now, theologically, we have to grasp that. The world needs to know the reason that they sin is because they were born a sinner. I had to realize that I'm I'm sinning because I was born a sinner. If I don't understand that, then I don't understand the necessity for salvation. It's not because of anything I did. It's because who I am. And who I am determines what I do. That's why I'm a sinner. I got saved at 10 years old. I was perfect. You could ask anybody who knew me. There was not a more perfect man. It was like God talking about Job. Can you find one so holy and faithful as he? But I still needed to be saved because I was a sinner. I didn't sin much, but I was a sinner. 
And until that realization preached through the word of God, the truth hit me through the spirit of God, you need to be saved. You're not good enough. You need to be saved. I had to acknowledge or be aware of my sin. John also tells us as a believer to know not only to be aware of our sin, but we are to avoid sin. How? My little children, these things I write to you, 1 John 2, 1, that you sin not. We preached about that for a good 50 minutes a couple Sundays ago. That we're to abstain from a lifestyle of habitual sin. Christians, a born-again child of God avoids sin. I don't, have to, I don't have time to preach that message again. Go back and watch it and listen. We do still sin. We still fall short of God's glory. But when we sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us if we confess our sin. Which is the next point. We acknowledge our sin. Barry, one day we're going to figure this schedule out. Or I'm just going to make an airplane and fly it to you one day. Did y'all know I got a little ADHD and stuff and OCD and DCA? And... The only thing I can do is fold it up smaller than I did and I still hit it. We have to be aware of our sin. We're taught to avoid sin. But we also are to acknowledge our sin. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So to know for sure that you're born again, to know for sure that you have eternal life, you have to evaluate your relationship with sin. Have I ever acknowledged that I'm a sinner and was born a sinner and because of that I need to be saved not by anything I did but who what Adam did that I was born into sin I am still convinced it's one of the biggest hurdles of the world today is to understand their need for salvation because they're a sinner as a Christian one way to test and evaluate, am I avoiding sin? I didn't say am I living sinless perfection, but am I, with the help of the Holy Spirit living within me, doing everything I can to avoid a habitual lifestyle of sin? Am I, as a Christian, when I fall, when I sin, am I faithful to confess? The Holy Spirit convict me, which I believe he does. I was wrong. Am I faithful to confess? Because that's what a true believer does. That's the relationship a true believer has with sin. The second relationship is the relationship with the Savior. Assurance of eternal life has everything to do with a relationship with Jesus. That's probably the most Sunday school primary thing I'll say on a Sunday morning ever in church. Confidence and knowing that you're born again has everything to do with your relationship with Jesus. Who is he? Who do I believe he is? And John is very clear that we must first acknowledge the Savior. Several times in 1 John, I don't have time to read them all, wouldn't bore you with just reading to you. But in 1 John 4, he says, verse 14 and 15, we have seen and testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, incarnate, deity, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Just last week, we talked about the difference in the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Those who believe and teach that Jesus is God, that he is deity, that he is God in the flesh. We must acknowledge who Jesus is. Jesus said, who do you say I am? You have a question? Are you unsure of who Jesus is? You question if he's really God? 
No, that's, that's not something you ask the Baptist on a Sunday. But God is asking that. The Word is saying this is how we evaluate. What do you say about Jesus? Who is he? Is he God's son? Is he the Christ? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior, not just of the Jews, but of the world? Mentioned this Wednesday night. One of the saddest pictures you'll ever see. And you can see it right now. Are Jews at the Western Wall, also known as the Wailing Wall, right now, praying for the Messiah to come. And even more, now that what's happening is happening, they're praying harder and more often, please come, send the Messiah. We need saved. But he's already came. He's already offered salvation to whoever calls on him. Who do you say he is? We're to acknowledge the Savior. We're also, John says, to abide in the Savior. In 1 John 2, 28, now little children abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed for him at his coming. That verse is a mouthful and a sermon in and of itself. Could he come today? Yep. I think so. I got to say this because that, that lack of reaction there, which is fine, makes me think that some people either don't believe it or they're so wrapped up in the what's going to happen first that they don't know if they should answer that or not. Amen, brother. I think he's coming back. Somebody's like, well, I don't know if the rapture may happen. I, something's going to happen, and we need to be ready. Based on what I read and what I believe, you don't have to believe what I believe. You need to be ready. You thought I was going to come up with something, some elaborate, scholastic theology. You need to be ready. You need to be ready for, for whatever the next event on God's calendar is. So I'm sitting around, fumbling around, and arguing over coffee about which is going to happen when and how and all this stuff, but be ready. Because it's going to happen. Quit asking me through your thoughts right now, what's it? I hear it. Something's going to happen. It's going to involve Jesus coming back and being visible again. So you better be ready. Because in the hour that you know not. We're to abide in him. So that when that happens, we're not ashamed. We're not made ashamed is what he's saying. That we are ready. I'm, I'm just, I don't know what's happening. I've heard it preached before and I like this. I like the thought, but then there's another thought. And preachers used to say, and maybe somebody said it this morning somewhere. Wouldn't it be good if he came back right now while we're in church? Now you're wondering whether you should say amen or not. It's like, <laughs> I know there's something to this, so I'm going to hold out on this one. Lost the punchline. We ought to all be saying, yeah, that's right, brother. But what a terrible, sad thought that he would return. I'm going to go ahead and say the R word, the rapture. Some of you have been waiting to hear that. And there'll be some still sitting in the pew after it happens. Not that it would be any worse to be sitting anywhere else. Because you're still sitting. But if you're not ready, and you're sitting in the pew of a Bible-believing Baptist church when it happens, and you're left behind, because you didn't know, you weren't sure, you hadn't made your calling and election complete and sure, as Paul said, what does it mean? It means abide, continue in, right now, every day. We're to abide in him. We're to acknowledge him. And we're to abound in sanctification. We're to keep on keeping on. First John chapter 2, verse 5 and 6. But whoever keepeth his word in him, verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought to also walk as he walked. We're to abound in growing, sanctification, continuing in this walk, becoming more and more like Jesus. 
grow in grace and knowledge, Peter said. In 1 John chapter 3, he says, whoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, practicing a habitual lifestyle of sin. Why? Because he's born of God. There's a good test. Am I habitually living a lifestyle of sin? Y'all understand, if you're, if you're first time here today, and it's, I've preached this through. I can't preach it all again today, or it'd be six hours long. But a great evaluation tool to know if you know is am I living a consistent, habitual lifestyle of sin without regard to the Holy Spirit, without regard to the gospel, without regard to my call to sanctification? If you're there, then you've got some question about your salvation. I, I, I really get, I think, righteously indignant is a good way to say it. And it's not worth it. But we got to quit trying to figure stuff out sometimes. Because when I say, and I know this, I've told many of you many times my aunt was psychic, so I know this. I feel it. When I say, you don't have to amen this. Please don't amen this. Even you, right? Don't amen this. Just listen. When I say in a Baptist church, if you're living a habitual lifestyle of sin, here's the immediate questions that go through people's mind. How long? We do. How long? We start to think about certain sins, certain prevalent sins that you don't have a problem with. Right? And we start to question, well, how long makes it habitual? Right? And now we're starting to question because we're trying to figure out how long's too long. And now we're focused on not the subject that's of importance. It, it's really fleshed out in very, something very simple. And I've said this before. Y'all pray for Billy. He's a good kid. He got saved when he was young, but he ain't been church in about 35 years. He's got, he's got drug problems. Can't lay him down. Or he's just living in sin. He just needs to get right with God and get back in church. Now, if you've been in church more than about six weeks, you've probably heard something like that. And now we're praying for Billy to get back in church. And what really ought to be happening is us praying for Billy to get saved. Now, you say, well, that's judgmental. No, no. The, the litmus test is the word of God. Now, I, I'm not here to put a time on it, but I think 35 years <laughs> qualifies as habitual. Amen. The point is, don't be thinking 35 days, 35 years, three weeks, how we think a habitual lifestyle. It means that a person's uh, identity is wrapped up in who they are. And God says, God says through John, nah, a Christian does not do that. A Christian wakes up out of it, like the prodigal son wakes up out of it, and he goes to his dad, and he confesses, which means he agrees with his dad. That's wrong. I know it was wrong. Will you forgive me? And dad says, yeah, I'm faithful to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As you heard a few weeks ago, the prodigal ended up in the pig pen, but the difference is he was a child of the king, so he didn't stay there. It's a difference in waking up there and staying there. And you can, as a Christian, wake up in the pig pen, but if you're truly born again, you won't stay there. You'll get cleaned up, you'll get loved on and forgiven by the Father. Our relationship with sin, our relationship with the Savior, and just a few weeks ago we learned that another test is our relationship with the saints. We're to love one another, John says in 1 John chapter 2. He that loves his brother abides in the light. This is a test. This is an evaluation. Am I born again or not? I hate him. Oh, he said the H word in church. can't stand to be around him. 
Is he a brother in Christ? Oh, that hurt. Is he a sister in Christ? You, you know how we get out of that, right? Well, I really don't like them. I mean, I just don't like them. I don't hate them, but I don't like them. I mean, I still love them, but I don't like them. That's somewhere in Proverbs, I'm sure. It's not, don't say it. It sounds dumb. I said it. Just don't say it. Think it, but don't say it. Don't let everybody else know how dumb you are. There's a wise proverb that says, it's better for someone to think you a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. You ever heard that one? It's not in this Proverbs, but it's in a proverb. I use this, I use this statement every week without exception. Here it is. I think Reagan gets credit for it. It's not so much that people don't know anything. It's what they know just isn't truth. Let that one stew a while. You can name four people right now that you, that you tell that to tomorrow, but don't do it. A Christian is supposed to love another Christian. It is an evident, it is an evidence of being born again. And we'll try to undo it. Well, I just don't, I don't like them. Well, maybe they're not Christian. That gets me out of it. <laughs> a true Christian doesn't think that way. Some of you had already thought that while I preached it. <laughs> don't think that. Well, I can hate them if they're not Christian. Now, that's a different verse for a different time. We'll go to the Good Samaritan on that one. I say, furthermore, a church can be identified as a Bible-believing, godly church when a person walks in and sees genuine, brotherly, and sisterly love for one another. You might be visiting here. You might be newer here. I can say this, not just as the pastor. This is a place where that happens. I got amens on everything under the sun except that. <laughs> I got one over there. This is a place, I thought, to where we demonstrate love for one another. Obviously, people didn't get their hands shook this morning. Somebody's upset. Somebody's ticked off. The coffee was too strong. I don't know. I didn't, they ran out of bulletins. I didn't even get a bulletin. It's online. Check it out. We're to love one another. A relationship with the saints. We're to love in practice, and we're to love in prayer. Uh, we're to see a need and have compassion, 1 John chapter 3. We're to practice what we preach. We don't just say, as James said, hey, you're cold, God bless you. We say, you're cold, I got three coats, here's one. That's what we do for each other when we find out a need. And I got to plug in for the church and the pastor and every other pastor. We can't meet needs we don't know about. I didn't say we meet every need we know about. But if you're in what we call the household of faith, and you're a member of this church, which today we have members in good standing, so we don't have to say that anymore, and we know it, you, we find out you've got a need, we're going to do what the Bible says, and we're going to do our best to meet your need. I don't need to identify what a need is, right? Y'all don't be thinking that. You don't know how much I No. We'll do it. We budget for it. We'll take up an offering. Y'all don't know this. We're still spending money that we took in a love offering, which I've taken one love offering kind of in five years, which I came in and I said, we got three families that I know need some help. We took in more money than we needed for them. We're still helping families with that money. Why? Even though you didn't amen, because this is a church that loves each other. How do I know that? Not because you didn't amen, but because you give. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And you give. You give money. And that's what we're supposed to do. Do you, do you love your brother in practice? And then we haven't gotten here yet, but it's in 1 John chapter 5. We love them in prayer. We're to pray for them. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, if any man see his brother sin a sin, this, now this, I know some of you want this preached out, but it's 1154, and you don't, I promise. <laughs> if any man sees his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, there is a sin unto death, by the way, but this is a sin that's not a sin unto death. He shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. 
In Colossians chapter one and James chapter five, we are told to pray for each other. James says that our prayer life for one another can help or hinder someone being healed. How's your prayer life for each other? Now, I knew what I was preaching today before I got up here. I don't know if y'all knew that or not. But when we pray and Jesus says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, church, we miss it. We miss it. And I said we. I'm including me. We miss it when we have a privilege to call on the creator and sustainer of the universe and ask him. And we don't. And a true believer will love his brother in practice. He'll give him what he has need of. But I think even more importantly, he'll pray. She'll pray for each other. I've already mentioned, and David, I don't think you'll mind me saying this, but um, I'm glad you already shook your head no, because I was going to do it anyway. But no. <laughs> Yesterday we were out here trimming trees. I know, thanks for everybody noticing how great they looked. They were great. We trimmed a lot of tree limbs. And um, we're about ready to leave, and um, David, who I referred to as Sister Janet, who needs prayer, he had no idea what I was preaching today. He hadn't, I didn't know this was going to work out. I appreciate the illustration. It was great. And there were about seven guys, six or seven guys, including me, um, David, John, Pastor Barry, Alan, you were, no, that was breakfast. Um, that was good, too. Who? Yeah, Jesse. Um, and we were about to leave, and all of a sudden, David said, hey, and, and he made some powerful statements that he didn't even know it was helping the pastor out. And um, he said, I, I haven't been around, something to the effect of, I haven't been around this many godly men at one time in a while. He said something like that, right? And um, he wasn't saying that as in lifting up the men to be godly. He was saying Christian brothers. That's what he was saying. And, um, he, and you could tell he was serious and he said, I, I've got something I, I want to ask if y'all pray for. Richard, you were the other one there. I don't want to leave you out. You get credit for being there. Thank you. <laughs> and then he mentioned about his sister and the situation there. And uh, Bob, you were the other one. There you go. Well, I, co I covered everybody. <laughs> Bob Jenkins was there. Is anybody missing? I want to make sure everybody gets full credit. Brenda put that on the payroll. We were all there. And so he mentions his, and I said, yeah, we'll pray. And he went, and he was very serious, very genuine. And um, when he got finished, Bob said, he gave a prayer request. He said, why, why we got you here? He said, I've been praying for this. And I knew this about Bob, and I knew the situation. And he said, I'm, I've been praying, and, and I want to ask y'all to keep praying and pray with me on this. And I'm sitting there thinking, I've got to get my notes out. This is a good illustration. This is exactly what God says ought to be happening among believers now, I'm not getting up here fussing, so don't be mad at me. But we talk, we men, I'll pick on the men, we talk about everything when the women ain't around, right? <laughs> Freely flowing. Yeah. But we don't like to talk godly stuff sometimes. And we ought to. And we ought to have... You said amen. Did you say that so I would call you out too? Because you were there too. That's the last one. Monty was there too. I appreciate it. Monty was there too. I ought, to be able to, I ought to be able to be in the hallway with Monty and say, Monty, man, I got a need. Will you pray for me? And Monty would pray. And I have confidence that he would pray and pray for me. Furthermore, it ought to be happening already. Matter of fact, the perfect world would be like, John Garman, will you pray for me? Already been doing it, brother. Well, let me add one to it. That kind of thing. Now I got everybody in. John was there too. Now we're really finished. <laughs> Until the next person, I'll get them all in. We're to love and practice. We're to love and prayer. 
our relationship with the saints, our relationship with the Savior, and our relationship with the Spirit. We are, as a believer, don't miss this one, I know it's, we really did get to 12 quick. Um, this is obvious, should be, but believers are indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God. And, and that's an eye-opening reality. Can't understand it. A little different. Scares some people off. But we have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling inside of us. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where we go, he goes. And we showed up, he was here. And we have super, this, don't scare, I hope I don't scare you right before we leave. We have supernatural power indwelling within us. I think Chris Tomlin said, we have resurrection power living on the inside of us. What does it help us do? What does it, as in the help, but what does he, the Holy Spirit, help us do? He, he teaches us. He teaches us. We are taught by the Spirit. John says, you have an unction from the Holy Spirit and you know everything. And we understand he didn't mean it that way. That no man needs to teach you because you have the Holy Spirit living within you. I've used this phrase a couple times. I've read behind some people smarter than me that said, we have a built-in lie detector test. We have a teacher. We have the Holy Spirit teaching us how many more things are going to fall in that balcony. They're not going off and ringing, they're falling. We know we have the Holy Spirit who teaches us. The Holy Spirit helps us test the spirits. You're born again, you'll know when you hear false teaching and false doctrine. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. There's only one Holy Spirit. He knows the truth. Your spirit will bear witness and know that this is truth. Or that lie detector go off and say, don't believe that. Don't believe that. I don't know if y'all heard this while we're just having fun. I saw that um, Joel Osteen was dressing up this year as a pastor for Halloween. <laughs> I love Joel. Don't pick on him anymore. Well, he's got the, he's already, he already has the costume, so he's, he's good. We can know. I know I pick on him, and he gets upset about it. He lets me know. But it's amazing how there can be some truth, 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 and all of a sudden, here comes, whoa. Not just from him, but from others. And the believer has the Holy Spirit going, whoa, whoa, that's good. No, nah, not good. Not good. The lie detector goes off. He said, you making that up? No, this is what John teaches. We have the Holy Spirit who teaches us all things, and we know truth, and we know error. That's what he says. If you need my notes, I'll print them out for you or mail them. Honestly, I do that occasionally. These are the things. These relationships with sin, relationship with the Savior, relationship with the saints, relationship with the Holy Spirit of God, these are the things in 1 John 5, 13 that he says, these things have I written unto you that you may know. This is how we know. Not do I uphold the Constitution of Central Baptist Church and the Baptist faith and message. No, these things. And if you're a born-again Christian, and I'm a born-again Christian, and I read this, and I preach this, and I hear this, and John talks to me, and God talks to me, I have some relationships to evaluate. And I either pass or I fail as a Christian. I don't fail habitually. I have trouble with this. I stop, confess, I repent, and I get forgiveness. But there are people here today and people in churches all over and your neighbors and your friends and we have 
the test. And we can tell them when they're struggling and there's nothing, I really don't think there's anything sadder than talking to someone who's struggling with, a, with, a, with knowing that they're born again and really, really struggling with it. You can know. You can know. And here it is. It's not because you're a member of this church. It's not because you dress this way. It's not because your hair looks like this. It's not because you do this and don't do this. It's these things have I written so that you can know. God wants you to know. He wants you to have peace. He wants you to have blessed assurance. So that when the news happens, when this happens, when the doctor calls, when you watch Fox News before going to bed, you can lay down and you can say or you can sing blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And know that you know that you know. No matter what happens, peace that surpasses all human I don't understand how he can be so calm. They don't say that about me, but about someone else. I don't know how they can get that news, still go to church, still worship, still sing, still play, still serve, because they have a peace that the world can't understand, because they have blessed assurance. Would you pray with me? God, I pray right now that those who have assurance know it. That somehow your word helped them today to gain assurance and that they know they can have peace that surpasses human understanding. But God, I also pray for that one here or that several here that based on your word and not mine, they were able to determine today they've never been born again. Not that that's good news, but it's clarity that they need to know they've never made you Lord of their life. They've never accepted your forgiveness for their sins. They've never accepted what John calls the propitiation, the payment for their sins in the person of Jesus Christ dying on the cross. Becoming sin for us that we could be made righteous. While you're praying, I'm gonna just ask you this. If you're here today and you're not sure that you're born again. Or maybe because the word of God has made it clear, now you know you're not born again. We have altars here. We use altars here if you wanna come pray at an altar. And if that's you and you need to be saved and make Jesus Lord of your life, if you come down to this altar and you raise your hand, one of our pastors, myself, will come pray with you. I don't need to tell you how to do it. We don't need to tell you what to say. It's not a special prayer. It's just you calling out to God. Just like the word says, acknowledging you're a sinner, believing Jesus paid the price for your sin, and confessing him, living as Jesus is Lord of your life. And maybe you're too uncomfortable for that and you're sitting here this morning or you're watching from home or watching this later and that's you. You say, I've never been born again. But I understand what, I, what it takes. I understand what I need to do. And I want to know for sure. And maybe that's you. We're going to sing. It sounds like we're going to sing Blessed Assurance. Imagine that. And I'm going to ask you to do business with God if you're lost and you know it. I believe God's will is for whoever calls on him to be saved, believing that he is 
what Scripture says and who Scripture says he is. And I don't want to belabor it, but I want to be specific. God wants you to know that you have peace and assurance. And I don't mean to be that guy. But in the world we live in today, you'll be much better off knowing that you know that you know. Because it will get worse. Time is winding down. And the Bible says that things will grow or wax worse and worse. And you need to know. And you need to be ready. Would you stand as we sing? It's up to you now if you want to respond. If you want to come to an altar and just pray, you can do that while we sing. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events, and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.